Well, I want to start this morning by having us look once again at our theme verse for this series on living by faith. And it's John chapter 6, verse 35. So go ahead and open to it in your Bible. We'll have the scriptures appear on the screen. But let me encourage you once again, bring your paper Bible, okay, your real Bible with you. I hope you have a, a real... Digital Bibles are great, okay? But there's, you know, tear-stained, right? Coffee spilled over here, worn, underlined dates where God's met you. And you need to have a Bible which, which is just yours, right? So bring it, and then you can take notes and write things in the margins and underline words. And I hope you have John 6, 35 underlined. This is a revolutionary scripture. I hope you all are memorizing this. Here's what Jesus says. I am the bread of life. Whoever, whoever, do you hear that? Beautiful. Whoever comes to me will not hunger. And whoever believes in me will never thirst. At least two truths in that verse. One is, we've all got hungers and thirsts. Jesus is teaching that every human being has heart hungers. And I think what he means by that is we all hunger for joy, pleasure, peace, security, hope. Every human being hungers for those things, and we do everything we do to gain those things. We're hungry people in our hearts. We're hungry, and Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am. Come to me, believe in me, satisfy all your hungers. So what this means is, so here's the picture. Here's Jesus as the bread of life. This is the illustration we've used these past few weeks. It's a lot of bread here, right? The point is, all that you ever need is in Jesus Christ. You're here. You're hungry. Yes, this is Jesus. You'll be feasting, never hungry, always feeding on him, having your heart hunger satisfied. First of all, because he forgives our sins. This is crucial. We've all sinned against God, every one of us in this room. We've all faced eternal judgment from him in hell. This is huge. And Jesus loved us, cared for us, became a man, went to the cross. God in the flesh suffering on the cross for the sin of his rebels, those who committed treason against him so we can be completely forgiven. So we're forgiven for past sins, present sins, future sins, completely forgiven and reconciled to God because of Christ's death. And so because we're reconciled, then we can fellowship with him. We can know him. And listen, when we behold Jesus Christ, the God-man, the Son of God, and see his power and see his love, and see his mercy, and see his glory, and see his tenderness, and see his justice, and see his sovereignty, and see his authority. When we behold Jesus Christ in fellowship, in worship, in love, our hearts are filled to overflowing with joy because he is the joy that every human being was meant to be completely satisfied by. He is the infinitely satisfying joy of the universe. Stop looking anywhere else. In Jesus Christ, the bread of life, you found the joy you're looking for. So forgiveness of all of our sins, reconciled to God, the joy of beholding him, knowing him, worshiping him, fellowshipping with him. He's the bread of life. So here we are. Now there's a problem. Remember what the problem is? Sin. Our sin makes us proud. And the problem with 
if you can call it a problem, the, the good news of God being giving us the bread of life in Christ is this is all about mercy. We've deserved none of this. We've only deserved God's wrath. This is pure mercy. We can't take credit for anything. He died for us while we were sinners. He purchased faith and repentance for us. We were running away from him. He brought his power upon us and changed our hearts and gave us repentance and faith. All of this is pure mercy. And so in our pride, we find ourselves wanting to turn away and trust these little scraps of bread, which we think maybe are going to satisfy us because we can take credit for them. So here's like my career. Nothing wrong with having a career, but don't trust it to satisfy you. Money. Nothing wrong with money, but don't trust it to satisfy you. Here's pleasure, here's career, here's relationships, here's fame. And so we find our hearts turning from Christ, the bread of life, to trust these other things over here. And so what we've seen these last few weeks is that the battle to live by faith is a battle between trusting these little scraps over here to satisfy us or trusting Jesus Christ, the bread of life, to satisfy us. That's the battle. So, for example, whenever you're tempted to sin, what's really going on is you're starting to trust that sin is going to satisfy you more than Jesus Christ. Hello! Did you see that picture? Let's try that again. You're trusting that sin's going to satisfy you more than Jesus Christ, the bread of life. That's always the battle. When you're tempted, that's what you're starting to believe. Or we saw that when you're discouraged... When you're feeling hopeless, what's going on? It's because you've started to count on something over here for your life, trusting something here to satisfy you, but it's being threatened. It might be gone someday, so you're feeling hopeless and discouraged. When you've got Jesus here, that's the battle. Or last week we saw, when you're angry, what's going on? This is so convicting to me. Whenever I'm angry, whenever you're angry, what's happening is there's something over here that I'm trusting to give me life, trusting to satisfy me, and someone has taken it away from me, <laughs> leaving me empty and angry. When, look what I've got. So, see, the battle to live by faith is always a battle of, I've been trusting something besides Christ, turning my heart back to the Lord Jesus Christ and saying, forgive me for my unbelief and my pride. Change my heart by the power of your Holy Spirit. And then we, we open up the scriptures right here. Open up the scriptures, okay? Open it up right here. All right. And we see who Jesus Christ is afresh. We pray over his promises. We pray over the beauty of what he's done on the cross and his resurrection, God's plan of salvation, his love for us, his mercy to us, his grace to us. And as we pray over the truth of who Jesus Christ is, the Holy Spirit will come and open our eyes. So once again, we see I've got a stack of bread here in Jesus Christ. What am I thinking, okay? And we see and we feed and we worship and we trust and we're freed from temptation and discouragement and anger. And we'll need to do that battle every day and numerous times each day, right? How many of us are numerous times each day people? I hope we all are because that's just the reality of it. All right. So that's what we've been looking at. And now this morning... We're going to see this is also how we overcome fear. So let's turn to Isaiah chapter 41. Powerful, powerful passage. Isaiah 41. Remember, Paul said in the book of 1 Corinthians that the Old Testament was written not just for Israel's instruction, but for our instruction. 
The Holy Spirit gave the Old Testament to the Old Testament prophets for them and for the people of Israel and for us today. So this passage is also for us today, Isaiah 41. Now here's the context of the passage. Israel had disobeyed God blatantly and continuously. And God had been slow to anger, long-suffering, patient. But finally, the time came where God had to bring the judgment upon them that he had warned them about. And so he had Babylon come and invade Israel and destroy Jerusalem and take God's people back to Babylon as captives. So as Isaiah writes this, as God speaks through Isaiah, this is being spoken to God's people in Babylon. And in verses 2 through 4, we won't read them right now, God says he's raising up someone. It's Cyrus, if you read the rest of the chapters before and after. God's raising up Cyrus, and Cyrus is going to have a powerful army who is going to invade and conquer many nations, including Babylon, where Israel is. Okay? And because all the nations can see Cyrus growing in power, they're starting to become afraid. That's what we see in verses 5 through 7. Look at what they do. Start verse 5. The coastlands have seen. They've seen Cyrus starting to rise up with power, and they are afraid. The ends of the earth tremble. They've drawn near and come. Everyone helps his neighbor and says to his brother, be strong. Be strong. Be encouraged. So they try to encourage each other. And look at this next verse. They, they try to build strong idols. This is just I think there's a little bit of a sense of humor here. Get this, verse 7. The craftsman strengthens the goldsmith. You can do it. Make us big, strong idols. And he who smooths with the hammer strengthens him who strikes the anvil, saying of the soldering, it is good. And they strengthen it with nails so that it cannot be moved. So here there's this concern about Cyrus rising up, destroying the nations. The nations are afraid, verses 5 through 7. They encourage each other, be strong, and they encourage each other to build strong idols that they hope will save them. It's always foolish for us to trust idols. Okay? We're seeing that here. So the question at the end of verse 7 is, should God's people be afraid? They are there in Babylon. Cyrus is going to conquer Babylon. Should they be afraid? And look at what God says to his people, verses 8 through 10. But you, Israel... My servant, Jacob, another name for the people of Israel, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corners, saying to you, you are my servant. I've chosen you and not cast you off. So all that to build up to verse 10. Fear not. Feel that? Fear not. For I, God says, am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So, should God's people be afraid? No, absolutely not. Even though God's people are in Babylon. Even though Cyrus is going to come and will overtake and conquer Babylon, God's people should not be afraid. Now, you might think, well, that's just for that time period they shouldn't be afraid. But there's other, times period, other time periods where maybe we should be afraid. That's not true. 
I want to show you that this command to not be afraid is all through the Bible. Let me give you one other Old Testament verse. First of all, Psalm 56, verses 3 and 4. The psalmist says, When I'm afraid, we do get afraid, right? When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you, in God, whose word I praise. In God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? So what happens when you put your trust in God? You stop being afraid. You see that in the verse? Okay. So there's an Old Testament verse. New Testament verse, Luke 12, 32. Jesus says this to us. Fear not, little flock. Great affection in his voice here. Fear not, my little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And then back to Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, God says, for I am with you. So the command to not fear isn't just for Isaiah 41.10. It's all through the Old Testament. It's all through the New Testament. It's for all of God's people at all times. Fear not is what God says. So if you are fearful about something right now, and I would guess probably most of us are, if you're fearful of something right now, God would stand before you in Christ and with great love and strength in his eyes, he would say, fear not. Do not be afraid. I love that. Notice that he knows we get fearful. That's why he says, fear not. And notice that the fact that he commands us not to fear shows that there is never a time when it's right for us to be afraid. In light of who God is, in light of what he's promised us, there is never a time when it's right for us to be afraid. Now, I know that you might not agree with that, okay? But just bear with me. Don't argue with me. Argue with, argue, you know, argue with the Bible, okay? Don't argue with me. I'm just the messenger here. Don't shoot the messenger, all right? Okay, but the problem is we, we get afraid, right? I mean, we do. We, we fear what might happen to our kids, we fear getting sick, some difficult medical issue coming up. We fear not having enough money. We fear losing our jobs, right? We, just all kinds of scenarios that we, we fear war. We fear just all kinds of things we can, can fear. I mean, have you ever read about someone who had a, a disease, came down with a disease and kind of read their story and then found yourself fearing that maybe you've got that disease or you're going to get that disease? Anybody else? So this happened to me a few years ago. I read about somebody in the United States who came down with Parkinson's disease. I know, I know this gentleman, and a beautiful story. I mean, first of all, he talked about the symptoms, talked about the prognosis, and then about how God met him. He still has Parkinson's right now, um, but just how God met him. And as he saw God and his sovereignty and promises and beauty, he knew that whatever God chose to have happen with the Parkinson's in him, God was good, and he could be completely at peace, and he was at rest very encouraging article that I read. A few hours later, I'm not sure exactly, I forget what happened. I might have tripped over something. I thought, Parkinson's. <laughs> it's tripping one of the symptoms, you know, and, and then anyway, and I started to think, well, maybe, maybe that, and, and, then, and then like, what would happen if I came down with Parkinson's? I started thinking about this, like what, I mean, how, how would we pay our bills if I came down with Parkinson's, and how would I work? And I mean, is it, is it painful to die from Parkinson's? You, anybody else ever doing that? So you're, you're just, and, and, I'm, and my fear is growing and growing and growing, right? 
Come on, I'm not alone in this, right? Okay, maybe it wasn't Parkinson's, but something, all right? This is just how it happens. So we all struggle with fear. All of us do. And God commands us, don't fear. But see, here's the problem, one of the problems. Too often, we, we just opened up the Bible and we, we see the command, don't be afraid, don't fear. And then we close the Bible before we read in the passage, how do we not fear? God doesn't just tell us, don't be afraid, and then close the book, work on it. He says, don't be afraid, and here's how. Here's what to do. Here's steps to take. But too often, we close the Bible, and then we just kind of rely on our own solutions we can come up with, leaving God out of the picture, kind of psychological, secular approaches, right? For example, we can think, well, I'm just, I'm just not going to think about it. I'm just not going to think about that bad thing happening. I'm going to get busy. I'm going to distract myself. I'm just not going to think about it. But what happens when you try really hard not to think about something? You know what happens. You think about it, okay? So that, that I mean, see, we have much better, much more powerful answers in God than that. Or I've, I've heard people, I've heard Christians recommend using the Mark Twain quote. Mark Twain was a famous author in the U.S., Here's his quote. He says, I've had a lot of worries in my life, most of which never happened. Okay? And isn't that true? Most of the things we're worried about never happen. And so we tell ourselves, it'll probably never happen. So don't be afraid. But listen, our peace does not depend upon probabilities. Our peace rests on something that is rock solid certain all the time in God. So don't waste your time with probabilities. Or another version of probabilities is statistics. The odds are I'm not going to get Parkinson's. Yeah, but that means there's a chance I will. Right? So don't, don't rest on probabilities. Don't rest on statistics. Or some people just try to think that if I just believe enough that it won't happen, it won't happen. Listen, the Bible never says that. The Bible never says that. In fact, the Bible teaches, Acts 14.22, Paul preaches this when he goes back and visits churches he has planted, and Luke summarizes Paul's sermon in one sentence. I'm not going to quote it exactly, but the gist is that the road to heaven passes through many afflictions and tribulations. The road to heaven passes through many trials. So if you're in the midst of trials, that might be good news, okay? The road to heaven. All right? Don't think that the road to heaven is the road where there's no trials. No, trials are on the road to heaven. All that to say, the Bible never says that hard things won't happen to God's people. Right? Okay, so those are some ways that we try to not fear because we're not paying attention to what God says about how not to fear. And this morning, I want us to focus on what God says in Isaiah 41 about how not to fear. And I hope you'll start doing this with every passage you read. Whenever you see a command, don't just say, command, close the book, try to do it. Say, command, how? And then look at the context. You will find hows. We need those hows. Okay, so let's look at the hows here. How does God tell us to overcome fear? And as I meditated on Isaiah 45, 8 through 10, I saw that God gives us two steps to take. And I, I hope that after this morning... Every time fear rises up in your heart, you will take these two steps. So jot these down, take note. First step, 
Remind yourself of God's past faithfulness. That's what's happening in verses 8 and 9. Let's read those verses again. And remember, verses 8 and 9 are all building up to the command at the beginning of verse 10, fear not. So verses 8 and 9 builds the foundation, gives us a big old huge how to fear not. Verse 8, God says, but you, Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen. Now just pause there. God's saying, remember, I chose you. Israel, I chose you. You were not righteous. You did not deserve to be chosen. But in great mercy and love, I chose you. And because you are trusting Jesus, Grace Church, because you are trusting Jesus Christ this morning, God chose you. God chose you. While you were still sinning, God set his affection upon you. God set his love upon you as an individual. You didn't deserve it. This is the beauty of God's love. It's just overflowing love and goodness. He set his love and affection upon you and chose you to be his. And that just should just root you and ground you. And this is an amazing thing. The God of the universe in great mercy. I didn't deserve this. I didn't earn this. He chose me. That's how Isaiah, that's how God in this passage wants Israel and wants you to be feeling at this point. Oh, there's a security that comes, right? Okay, but you, Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend. This word friend has at its root the word love. It could also be translated beloved. It's the idea that I loved Abraham. He was my friend. I loved him. And by faith in Christ, Paul tells us in Galatians 3, we are the offspring of Abraham also, and we are loved by God just like Abraham was loved by God. You are God's friend. Through faith in Jesus Christ, God loves you. He cares for you. So let your foundation get established here, okay? Keep going. Verse 9, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corners. I think that's probably a picture of God freeing Israel from their slavery in Egypt, right? I gathered you, I called you from the farthest corner. Slavery in Egypt freed you, part of the Red Sea brought you to the promised land. That's what God did for Israel. And the analogy is that in the same way as God delivered Israel from slavery in Egypt, through faith in Christ, God's delivered us from slavery to sin. He's called us out of the kingdom of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his beloved son. Here we are. So he has called us, he's taken us from the ends of the earth and called us from its farthest corners, saying to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. Now just let the Holy Spirit speak these words of God to you right now, all those of you who are trusting Christ. You are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. Security, peace, comfort. Do you feel that? Beautiful. And, and now all of that is building up then to the two words at the beginning of verse 10. Therefore, fear not. That's the, this is the second step then. In verse 10, we trust God's promises. Read all of verse 10. Fear not, God says, for I am with you. Now notice that word for. Here's a reason 
for why we don't be afraid. It's because God is with us. For, underline that word for, I am with you. Be not dismayed. Just another way to say fear not. Dismay, fear, same thing. So be not dismayed. Another for. For, here's the reason why, I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So it would be a tragic thing to read verse 10 and just walk away with the two words, fear not, and think probabilities or odds, right? Because you're ignoring all the reasons why. Here God gives us reasons, and the reasons all have to do with God's promises. Let's go through them one at a time. First of all, he says, fear not, for I am with you. When God promises to be with you, he's, he's meaning that all that I am and all that I promised in the word, will always I will always be doing that for you. I am with you all the time. I, I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. I am totally with you, fulfilling all my promises. Then he says, be not dismayed, for I am your God. That means I'm going to be God to you. Another way of saying I am with you. That is all that I am as God. All that I've promised to be. All that I've promised to do. I will be and do for you. It's guaranteed. I will never stop. I promise. You believe that? It's true. Then he says, I will strengthen you. Super important. Because when we're fearful, we're weak in faith. We feel like our hearts will never change. I mean, you know how fear is. You can become so fearful. It's like, this is never going to change. How could I not fear? We're weak, but he will strengthen us. And when we turn to him and say, help me, and we open up the scriptures, maybe have some brothers and sisters pray with us, he will strengthen us. He will never fail you in this. Every time you turn to him, say, strengthen me, help me, he will. Every time. Then he says, I will help you. See, it's not the case that God helps those who help themselves. We can't help ourselves. We are helpless. Just own up to us, Grace Church. We're a bunch of helpless people with an awesome helper in Christ, right? So you feel like, I'm the only helpless one here. Oh, no, 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 no. We are all completely helpless. And it's so helpful to admit that you're helpless because then you turn to him and he will help you. Do you see how that works? Okay, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Again, this is a general statement. I'm going to fulfill all of my promises to you. So all of these statements in verse 10 are all different ways of saying, I will fulfill to you every promise that I've made in my word. And that's why you do not need to be afraid for a moment. This is what I'm going to do for you. So the way to overcome fear is by trusting God's promises. Do you see that in this passage? The way to overcome fear is by trusting God's promises. Now think about this. If the way to overcome fear is by trusting God's promises, then why are we fearful in the first place? It's because we're not trusting God's promises. If the way we conquer fear, if the way fear diminishes in our hearts is by increasing our trust in God's promises, why is there fear in the first place? It's because our trust in God's promises isn't very strong. Increase your trust in God's promises, fear will diminish. Stop trusting God's promises, 
fear comes back. This is how it works, okay? So when there's fear, it's caused by not trusting God's promises. And so the way to fight is by trusting God's promises. Okay, I'll never forget, years ago, this is a long time ago, Jan and I were reminiscing about this yesterday as we were talking about it. Um, God had called me to leave a church I was pastoring in Northern California in the U.S. and travel eight, nine hours south to a church in, uh, in Orange County, Southern California. And the church wanted me to come on staff. They, they said, we'd be glad to have you. We have a position for you. We don't have any money to pay you, they said, but we'd love to have you come. I would never recommend anybody do this, okay? But God made it absolutely clear it's what he was calling us to do. So there we were. Jan was driving our 1974 Ford Maverick down Highway 5, and I was driving our Jartran moving truck with some furniture, and I was petrified. I, I thought, what am, what am I doing? I'm an idiot. You know, what have I done? But next to me in the passenger seat, I had my stack of three by five cards with promises written on them. I would encourage you all to find some way to learn and memorize God's promises. And what saved me on that drive down Interstate 5 in California was pulling out these promises, keeping my eye on the road, but, <laughs> but glancing at them every once in a while and, and praying over them and meditating on them. And I had sweet fellowship with Jesus Christ, my God, my Savior, and I knew, I just knew. He, he gave me times where I just knew this is his call. This is going to work. It's going to be good. This is exactly what I'm calling you to do. And a few months later, they started paying me at the church. And, and it ended up being a beautiful thing, what God did there. Okay, so the point is God's promises. God's promises. Um, the reason we fear is because we're not trusting God's promises. And the way to overcome fear is by trusting God's promises. Do you see that? It's so important. Now, how does this work in real life? Here's how I want us to kind of wrap this up. I want you to pick a fear that you're dealing with right now. We've all got one. I don't want to remind you of a fear, but no, I do. I want to, I want to remind you of a fear, okay? Because then you can, I, I pray that God will meet you about that fear today. You won't have to not think about it or do the probability thing, but I want you to think about a fear that you really are grappling with right now, and then I want to share with you some of the promises that I have found most helpful in my own life to overcome fear, and, I, and let's just see what happens as you start to ponder the implications of these promises. So do you, do you all have a fear in mind? Okay, here we are at that church. We're all starting to feel fearful, right? Maybe this is a big mistake. No, this is not a big mistake, okay? This is going to be a powerful Time of conquering fear, right, in, at Grace Church. So, you have one specific fear in mind. Now, let's look at some promises. First of all, here's where I start. When I draw near to God, He will give me all the grace I need. That's Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. I would really encourage you to memorize this one. Here's what the author of Hebrews writes. Let us then with confidence... Draw near to the throne of grace. God's throne, because of Christ, is not a throne of wrath or of judgment. Because of Christ, God's throne to you is a throne of grace. It's dripping with grace. It's oozing with grace. You come to it, you, all you can get is grace, grace, grace. So draw near to it, okay? Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy 
and find grace to help in time of need. And here's why this promise is so important to me. Like I said earlier, when I get fearful, I just feel like this heart's not, not going to change. I might as well just go take a nap, right? See what's on TV. Nothing spiritual is going to happen right now. This heart's just full of fear. You, you ever feel that way? Okay, that's a total lie because I can draw near to the throne of grace just as I am with my unbelieving, fearful heart. And, and Jesus has his arms open. I'm glad you came. My son, my daughter, I'm glad you came. What do you need? I know what you need. He knows what we need. You need grace. You need mercy. You need your faith strengthened, don't you? And every time you come to him as weak, as unbelieving, as fearful as you might be, he is smiling, he is welcoming, he will help you every time. So don't just like, you know, what's, what's happening on Facebook? I'm feeling full of fear. I'm just distract myself with this. I'm going to go for a long bike ride. Or, but nothing wrong with Facebook, maybe. Nothing wrong with bike rides, okay? But go to Jesus, right? Turn to the throne of grace. So are we hearing that? So no one here should feel like my fear is too much to be addressed by what Jesus says, no, your fear will be completely lifted by what Jesus says. That's the first one. When I draw near to God, he'll give me all the grace I need. Second, he is in sovereign control of my future. That's Isaiah 45, verses 6 and 7. Here's what he says. I'm the Lord, and there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. So see, as you look ahead, and there's this something out there that you're fearful about, what you have to see is that God is in sovereign control over that. God is in complete, ultimate control over everything that happens in our lives. Nothing is a surprise to God. Everything that takes place is purposefully and meaningfully allowed by him to bring about wonderful purposes, everything. So God is not worried about your future. God is not like, yeah, this is really, I, I don't know what's going to happen. It's not what God's saying. God is completely at peace. He's full of joy, really, in the long run of how this is all going to pan out and how that's going to have its place. So God is in sovereign control and the reason that encourages me so much is because of this next promise then. Third, he will use every trial to bring me even more joy in his glory. This is huge. 2 Corinthians 4, 17. For this momentary light affliction. In the context of this verse, Paul's talking about physical illness and physical difficulties, but what he says here applies to every trial you'll ever face. This light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So see, the Bible teaches that we all have trials, and some of our trials can be absolutely heartbreaking and devastating. But what God says is as heartbreaking, as devastating, as big as they might be, they are nothing compared to the how they're going to prepare more joy for us in God's glory. Now, don't misunderstand this. God is not making light of your trials. Some of you have gone through heartbreaking trials, and some of you will. 
God knows that, and God weeps with us at the same time as he says, trust me. Something beautiful is going to happen through this. Something so glorious, such joy in beholding Christ, you will know through this that it's an eternal weight of glory, so eternal and so weighty that it will make that trial be light, and it is momentary, it's temporary. So God's not making light of our trials. He's simply saying in comparison to the joy that we will have in Him, those trials are light, and they're, they're momentary. So let me try to picture it like this, using this bread illustration. So here, here we are with heart hungers. And I know Jesus is the bread of life, and he satisfies me. And to worship him, and to fellowship with him, and to behold him in his glory and his majesty, he is my all-satisfying treasure. I'm forgiven, I'm reconciled, I have Jesus Christ. Now, he's given me some wonderful blessings. Okay, I get to be married to Jan, okay? And I get to be pastor of Grace Church, all right? And praise God, I have physical health, all right? So he's, he's, he's blessed me with lots of things. This is true for all of us, right? We have Jesus Christ as the bread of life, and he's given us other blessings, and he brings us joy through these things. Don't, don't depend upon them for your joy, but he brings us joy for these things, through these things. Now, what Paul is saying here, oh, I forgot to do this. Let me, I need to take some of these off, sorry. Okay, put these down here. All right. Now, what, what Paul is saying in this passage is, if God chooses to take one of these away, that would be hard. If, if God chose to take Jan from me, that would be uh, extremely difficult. But here's what God is saying. That would be a momentary light affliction, which is preparing for me. I didn't bring down enough, but just think about a whole more stack of more of the bread of life coming to me. That is... The only reason God would take Jan from me is because through that process, he's going to bring me even more joy in him. I mean, she'll be, she'll be okay. She's, she's in heaven, so she's good, okay? Just me, me here. All right, so she's good. But he will use that to drive me even more into him and show me even more who he is, and I will have even more. It's, it, that trial is preparing for me even more joy now and forever. So much so that the day would come when I would fall at Jesus' feet and say, thank you for taking Jan when you did. And listen, we've got the most amazing marriage in the world. <laughs> okay. You have no idea. But so do you, do you see what Paul's saying here? here? So here's how this works. Okay, let's get some of this off here just for the sake of the illustration. We fear losing these things. We, we fear this. We fear losing this. This is what all of our fears are, are losing some gift that God's given to us, right? Every fear you have is the fear of losing a gift God's given to you. And God says, it won't be easy, and I'll comfort you, and you'll, you may weep, and you may mourn. Nothing wrong with that. But listen, that, the only reason I'm doing that is because I'm going to be bringing you even more joy in me because of that. And when we see that big picture, it's like, that would be hard, be heartbreaking, but eternal weight of glory. Lord, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, like Job said, blessed be the name of the Lord. Whatever will bring me the most joy in you, bring it. That, that's, that's, that's freedom, that's peace. Do, do you see how that works? 
So the things we fear losing, the only reason God would take them is because of what he's going to give to us in him. And he will give you so much, you will say, thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, we're going a little long here. My apologies, but this is important. If, if this just isn't working for you, if you're saying like, I mean, if it's not working for you, then I would challenge you that the reason is because you are trusting this to satisfy your heart, and you're not really seeing that. You're trusting your job or your career or your wife or your health, life here on earth, to satisfy you, and, and you're blind to Jesus at, at the moment. Now, all is not lost. That happens to us often. So you've got to press in. Help me to see and feel again that you are the bread of life. I'm, I'm blind to you. Forgive me. That's, that's why I'm fearful now. And as you do that, he will give you a fresh taste. Oh, yes, 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 yes. You are my prize. You are what this is all about. Thank you for these gifts, but you are the prize. And then freedom will come and fear will go. See how that works? Now, one more promise, though, because there are some important detail questions like, Trials can give us lots of decisions to make. Trials can make financial pressures. Trials can make me weak. How am I going to keep faithful to the Lord? So here's a fourth promise, which is actually three promises. God promises to give us all the wisdom, finances, and grace we need to do what he calls us to do. Three promises. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. It will be given to him. What if I have to decide about this or about that or about that or about that? Listen, in this verse, God promises, if you seek him, if you press in, if you ponder, if you read the scriptures, get counsel and ask him for wisdom, he will give you all the wisdom you need for every decision you ever have to make. He promises that. So don't worry about making the wrong decision. Secondly, financial needs, Philippians 4.19, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Keep working your job, okay? It doesn't mean stop working, but it means that whatever you are able to do to help provide for yourself, he will use that to bring you every Durham you need to do what God's calling you to do. He's promised that. He's promised you that. So don't worry about money. The promise for grace to obey, 2 Corinthians 9, 8. The question is, what if the trial makes me so weak spiritually? What if I turn away from God? What if I curse God? Who knows what might happen? Listen, 2 Corinthians 9, 8. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, it may abound in every good work. God will keep you from stumbling, James chapter 1, verse 24 and 25. God will keep continuing the good work that he started in you until the day of Christ Jesus. God will keep you persevering in faith until the end. God will keep you strong. God will keep you from stumbling. God will help you. All the grace you need to keep pressing in and faithful to the Lord, he will give to you. So trust him. He will take care of that. So you don't need to be afraid. You can get all the grace you need by turning to the throne of grace. God's sovereign over everything in your future. If God does allow a trial to come, it's because he's going to bring you even more joy in him through that trial, and he will give you all the wisdom, all the finances, and all the grace to keep faithful to him through the whole process. So don't be afraid. And when you are afraid, turn to him. Confess your unbelief and your sin. Ask for his help to change your heart. 
and then open up and pray over his promises until the Holy Spirit uses those promises to free you from fear and fill you with peace. He's promised he will do that. So let's stand together. And could some guys get this table off while I pray? Thank you. Let me pray this over us. Father, I ask that you would touch especially those hearts that really are fearful right now of something in their future. And I pray, we pray together, Lord, that you would help them see and feel and rest in the reality that you are sovereign over everything, that you love them in Christ, that you will never leave them or forsake them, and that any trial you bring their way is a gift to them of more joy in you. And you'll take care of everything that they need in the process. And so I pray, Lord, right now that, that you would lift fear off of hearts in this room as we set our hearts on the truth of who you are in Christ. So come and do that, I pray. And I pray for Grace Church, Lord, that this next week and for the rest of our lives, that whenever fears arise we would as soon as possible press in, open up the scriptures, pray, seek you, trust your promises, and then experience what you've promised. The lifting of fear and the pouring out of peace. For the glory of Christ, I pray. Let's worship the Lord.